A few days after Thanksgiving, in 1989, in Dallas, Texas, police were called to the home of David and Glenda Goodman, both 48. There was a terrible smell coming from the home. Firemen kicked in the front door and the smell was so strong that two of them turned right around and threw up in the bushes. There were flies everywhere, hovering in huge groups and dead all over the floor. They found the couple in the garage. They were both dead on the carpet in front of the coffee table. Each of them had been shot once with a gun placed against the head. They'd been dead for more than a month. David and Glenda had set out on a spiritual journey in search of enlightenment. They joined a local spiritual group and learned that they had originally been incarnated as Adam and Eve. Having lived 800,000 lifetimes, they were not Glenda and David anymore. They were Jupiter and Venus, the Roman god and goddess. David and Glenda left a total of $110,000 to their teacher and leader. This is the story of Terry Hoffman and her cult, Conscious Development of Mind, Body, and Soul. Have you ever done a guided meditation? Uh, Yeah, I have. I've tried a few. YouTube ones, sleeping ones, tried a few past life ones, well, one past life one a few times. How about you? Um, I'd have to say the only ones I've ever done is with my energy coach, Irina Miller. Go check her out. She's amazing. And it was really good to the point, like I've been in like guided ones with like, feel your body relax and blah, blah, blah. But like visually guiding guided meditations mm-hmm. they're just they're a whole nother level of the the mind i think mm-hmm. um it's like i don't a few weeks ago or maybe it was months i'd never even really know anymore with <laughs> months or weeks right it's all meshing together um but there was this thing going around about people who can hear themselves talk back to themselves in their mind and people who can't. Okay. Which one are you? Definitely the first. Yeah. Same. So like I can have a conversation with myself in my head. Yeah. And there are people who will see that on TV, like in a movie where a guy's like, Oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Like he's like monologuing to himself. Right. And they're like, man, I wish I could do that. Like they really like literally what? cannot. I know. Mind blown. And then of course, another thing had to come up where a uh, pop up that's very similar to that where it was a star and it said, imagine a red star in your brain. I can imagine it with my eyes open. Well, yeah, but you can see colors. You got to imagine it with your eyes closed. Okay. Okay. How bright is that actual, like how red is that star in your brain? Like that you can see it. I mean, it's fairly red, but it's kind of hard for me to like maintain the color. So it's kind of flickers. Interesting. So mine is like a dull, and then I realized that I can barely see it. <laughs> yeah. And so what? It, it, then it shows you a picture, and it shows you if you can see one, then you're this. If you can see five, like more toward five, then you're more this. Apparently, some people can see a bright, perfectly lined red star, whereas oh, others nice. they just see black. Now I was like, oh my god, that's so crazy. Wow. It's this whole thing of like in my brain, I'm thinking guided meditations. I'm going somewhere with this guys (laughs) (laughs) guided meditations. Um, the visual ones where you imagine yourself walking through a forest. And the one that I, I did with my energy coach, um, she had me walking through a forest and she said, now imagine hearing the rustling of the leaves and you can hear twigs and leaves crunching and snapping underneath your feet. And, like, I could imagine all of that happening. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, like, my brain is very visual in that sense. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is really nice. I, this is different than any other one that I've ever done before. But there was nothing <laughs> suggestive. And not in a sexual kind of way, guys. Right. <laughs> there was nothing <laughs> suggestive. Like, oh, well, what do you see now, Alicia? 
oh, I see a clearing. Yes. And what color is that clearing? Oh, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a green, you know, like it was, she was talking and I was imagining it was not her kind of leading. And then me thinking, wow, she led me through this whole great magical thing when really it was just her talking me through what I was telling her. Right. And that's going to lead us into our cult leader of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Hoffman. Terry Hoffman is by far, and this is why I wanted to do her first, because she's not very well known as a cult leader. Uh, she's not Jim Jones. She's not Osho Asahara. She's not L. Ron Hubbard. She's not these, like, these dudes who everybody knows about. I actually had somebody tell me the other day when I mentioned that I was doing a podcast about cults they were like well i feel like you're gonna run out of material pretty quickly <laughs> and i was like do you realize there are three thousand cults in australia that is wild come on <laughs> like okay there are three thousand cults in australia i already have compiled a list of almost 300 cults to talk about and this one's gonna be a two-parter and it's not even that big like there are gonna be some multiple parters here guys i'm there are so many cults out there and people don't realize that there are very small ones that people don't know about and people don't talk about. Like the one we grew up in. Every time someone's like, oh, well, which cult did you grow up in? And I'm like, you wouldn't know it. Right. <laughs> like, wouldn't. It's, it's true. You wouldn't. But it's still it was a cult. And that's that's how we feel. And based on our research and based on uh, our criteria, it was a cult. And that's why we have Terry Hoffman in here today, ladies and gentlemen. She is a cult leader number one on my list. Not just because she's a woman, but as you heard in the intro, she was able to manipulate her followers into suicides and leave her everything. I think that she was... Do you think she believed in what she was teaching? I really can't tell. Mm. What do you think? I think at the beginning, she did. I feel like in the beginning, she believed it. And she believed that she was doing good for people. And then I think that the power got to her. Mm. And this ability and control over... I believe that she didn't think that there was much afterlife. And I, but, but at the same time, you don't see her committing suicide. Right. Like she died of natural causes. So if she was really, uh, you know, hard believer in there's no difference between life and death. She would have gone. She didn't. Instead, she dosed people with fucking uppers and downers. I think that if she believed it at first, and even if she didn't believe it the entire time, she had a disorder of some kind. Mm, agreed. For sure. Yes. So we talked last episode about how much we hate his or how much Alicia hates history, <laughs> how much I hate history. But I feel like it's so important when talking about the times. So the history of this cult, it started in 1969. Think late 60s, early 70s. This is Manson. Late 70s. That's Jonestown. The 70s were prime real estate for cults, I feel like. Because many people believe that religion was no longer part of American society in the 60s and 70s. But this is only partially true. The one thing that was different about this time was that the diversity of religion increased. As we talked about last week, religion versus cult, all religions started out as a cult. So when I say religions, we're referring to spirituality in this sense. This was the time of the civil rights movement, of the sexual rev revolution, Vietnam, women's liberation, and a new alternative religion. There was yoga, transcendental meditation, Buddhism, Hinduism, all these new things coming into the United States. These challenged the traditional church. So many people were not so much denouncing religion as they were institutionalized Christianity, which I feel like we're at that point now. Mm, I agree. Yeah. People are just sick of the institution and the patriarchy and all of the above. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
just sick of it being so regimented. And I was listening to, I think it was Joe Rogan. He was talking about, uh, he was with somebody, I can't think of who it was, uh, but he was talking about the difference between a cult and a re- religion. And he thinks that all religions are cults and that your own spiritual awakening, whether that's, you know, using drugs or having some type of enlightenment, that is the way to go. Mm, that's an interesting take. Yeah. And I mean, I agree. So anyway, he was saying that religions prey on people that needing this sense of community, but also it preys on people financially, um, spiritually, with rules and regulations, and it does not shift with the times. So these old rules from the Old Testament don't shift into nowadays. Even the what rules from the New Testament, they don't move with the enlightenment of humankind. Right. So people in the 60s and 70s they they still longed for connection with higher power and community with people who believed with things like them young adults of the 60s denounced the church government big business and the military aka the establishment or the patriarchy as we like to say or the man the man <laughs> for their materialism, their power ploys, their self-interest and smug complacency. We're here again. Like this is the 60s again, just better hair. <laughs> Much. This was a generation of seekers. Seekers may be open to trying church, but they're just as willing to sample Eastern religions, New Age spiritualism, and quasi-religious self-help groups. For seekers, spirituality is a means of individual expression, self-discovery, inner healing, and personal growth. And I think that's why I don't, I don't call myself, like, I'm not religious. Yeah. I have a spiritual practice, but not religious. Same. Religion is valued according to one's subjective experience. Thus, seekers feel free to incorporate elements of different traditions according to their own liking. They shop around, they compare, and they select religious truths, quote-unquote, and experiences with what one historian calls their a la carte spirituality. I love it. I, I love a la carte spirituality. <laughs> Same. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. How do you feel like you uh, incorporate like your own a la carte? I research a lot of different things all the time, spirituality wise. Um, I've looked into a lot of different Celtic, I don't know if we'd call them cults, but different practices that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, The different groups. I play around with tarot cards every once in a while. I like an oracle card, you know. The normal good stuff, crystals and whatnot. I feel like I have a lot more to learn about crystals. Well, the basic attraction is they're shiny and we're just bigger brained birds who like shiny things. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's got a crinkly wrapper. <laughs> As human beings, we're always drawn to the thing that we're not supposed to have. Mm. We got a new vacuum, and it's a plug-in, <laughs> okay. which Joe has never seen a plug-in vacuum before, because we've always had a um, a cordless. And so Chris plugged it in and started vacuuming the living room, and of course Joe runs right over to the cord, unplugs it. <laughs> oh my gosh! What a stinker! Terry Hoffman was born on March 21st, 1938 in Fort Stockton, Texas, to poverty and to an alcoholic father. When she was four, she was visited by three men wearing splendid robes who told her that she could be or do anything she wanted. They told her that she was troubled and to think about God and that she was special. A few years later, Terry's mother gave birth to a stillborn daughter, and then died shortly after when she contracted tuberculosis. When Terry was nine, her dad sent her to a Lutheran orphanage in Round Rock, Texas, 
That's really shitty. Yeah. That sucks. Jeez. At the orphanage, her visions became more vivid. This caused obvious bullying among her peers. One of the nuns taught her about karma. The elements, fire, water, earth, air, and ether, reincarnation, and the Akashic records. All right, I'm going to have to call bullshit on all this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is Terry Hoffman's beginnings, according according to general information. But then the whole nun thing is based on Terry Hoffman's own version of her childhood. Do nuns even work in a Lutheran orphanage? Because I've never heard of a Lutheran nun. You know what? Neither have I. It sounds like bullshit. I call bullshit. I call bullshit also. I called it first. (laughs) 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 Like, tell me this. What nun have you found that's talking about karma, ether, reincarnation, and the goddamn Akashic Akashic Records? No. None. No, 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 none, none, nuns. That's none of the nuns. <laughs> so you might be asking, what are the Akashic records? They're a collection of all human events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to have occurred in the past, the present, or the future. Theosophists believe that it is encoded in a non-physical plane of existence known as the etheric plane all right so you know a little bit about the akashic records right like a little bit yeah so can you put this in layman's terms so the theory is that there's a place kind of um i wouldn't say within us but a place that we're all uh we all have a piece of Hmm. that uh connects us as one and stores everything that is possible kind of that has happened will happen stuff that could have happened if it had been different sort of thing genetic information spiritual information past lives dreams i believe but don't (laughs) quote me on that guys all right Do you think that it, so in my brain and I have to be, I'm a very like visual person, person, I'm a person guys, I'm a very visual person. And so when I think, when I think like a place, but kind of within us, but kind of a place, I'm thinking, all right, the second, and I'm a super Marvel fan. So the Mm -hmm. second Thor, when Mm -hmm. Jane gets sucked into that other world. And the ether is there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so is it something like that where it's like it's there, but we can't really tap into it, except if we're like in some type of meditative, higher hallucinogenic kind of ex- like way? Yes and no. Well, I, I mean, I can't say that definitively, obviously, but. Yes, yes. You've never been there. <laughs> according to the people who do claim to access these Akashic records like the ancestors and guides and all the uh, others who communicate with people who communicate with them are a part of that and guiding you according to that. Interesting. So it's almost like tapping into like the bigger picture, like more information that you already have that's stored there, but you don't really know how to tap into it or some do, some don't. Right. There's this analogy that I really like of dipping your pinky into a cup full of water and putting all of your consciousness into just the tip of your pinky, experiencing the water. Hmm. And then that's your human life. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's too much. I can't think about it. (laughs) No, but that's so crazy. Yeah. So Terry also believed that she was the reincarnation of St. Teresa of Avila, who was a real person. She was a 16th century Roman Catholic saint. St. Teresa was a prominent Spanish mystic and religious reformer. She believed that there were four stages of the soul's ascension to God. One, devotion of the heart. 
through mental prayer and contemplation. Two, devotion of peace, that human will is surrendered to God. Number three, devotion of union, absorption in God. In this phase, reason is surrendered to God, and only the memory and imagination are left to ramble, which all this sounds like goddamn cult. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Number four, devotion of ecstasy, where your consciousness of being in the body disappears. So the actual St. Teresa believed in all of this stuff. And she actually almost beat out the uh, patron saint of of Spain, right? Yes. St. James. She almost beat out St. James as the patron saint of Spain. So I just, I don't understand. Like, okay, I have always, and maybe this is just my limited historical Christian background, but like, I did not think that a country, a Catholic country, would commemorate a woman who believed in this kind of stuff, like at all. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't think that. Why? Why would you say so? Because the Catholic Church is so, like, the idea of levitate, like, 16th century. All right, you're talking 1500s, just out of the Dark Ages. People are, like, kind of coming to light. And then this Spanish mystic and religious reformer talks about how she's levitating and seeing visions of Jesus and Mary. Mm-hmm. I feel like she would have been proclaimed a witch rather than a saint. Right. I feel like um, if y'all know the rest of the story and you are of like secret insight that Wikipedia didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to know like what made her different in that a country would say, oh, sh- we want her to be our patron saint or let's consider her to be our patron saint. What did she bring to the table? I want to know. I, m- my opinion, um, why I can believe it is that the things that she's describing are a cult with God as its center, which on earth, the Catholic church is the hand of God, of course, mm. which means devotion to the church. So it's replace God with the church. Of course, hasn't that always been? Oh, yeah. The sure. thing? <laughs> <laughs> I forget myself here. <laughs> Alicia, I'm surprised at you. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mental prayer and contemplation. Human will is surrendered to the church. Absorption in the church. You're surrendering to the church, and only the memory and imagination are left to ramble. And then at the end, you are, your consciousness of being as a human be- has a human and an in- individual in a body yeah. disappears. Okay, I see I definitely see where you're going with it. That that makes a lot of sense. Terry Hoffman was adopted by a Dallas couple when she was 11. She finally seemed to have a stable home. When she was 14 years old, she met a young truck driver, John Wilder. He was 18. Ooh. Hmm. Creepy. Even 60s, that's creepy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this is 50s, but still, no. And was a high school dropout making 86 cents an hour, which is $8.07 in 2020 money. <laughs> which, as a truck driver, that's nothing. I feel like truck drivers are making easily 20 25 an mm-hmm. hour, and that's not overtime. Yeah. Easily. $8.07 is like minimum wage. Truck drivers don't make that now. But I feel like maybe there was less of a need for truck drivers then than there are today. Like nobody wants to be on the road now. Her mom did not approve of the relationship, saying that he wasn't good enough for her daughter. Terry, in typical teen manner, eloped with John on May 2nd, 1953 in Durant, Oklahoma. It was the closest place to Dallas that a 15-year-old could get married. 18 months later, they were joined by Kathy, their first child. Three and a half years later, they had their son, Kenneth, in 1958. Five years later, a daughter, Virginia, in 1963. Terry didn't finish high school and was a housewife, keeping herself busy with her children and gardening since they owned a small farm. After her first child, 
Terry started meeting with like-minded friends, discussing things like meditation, the structure of the universe, and the meaning of existence. She started studying the occult and ordered books on hypnotism. The family moved to a nice house, and Terry began to connect with wealthy, bored women who met at the Brookhaven Country Club discussing mystic matters. She started to attract a group of admirers and began to claim that she was the messenger of God. I feel like when you talk about bored, wealthy, bored women in a country club, <laughs> so much Chardonnay. Chardonnay. So much Chardonnay. Like, which I mean, I am not opposed to a glass of Chardonnay. Like, okay, this woman did not graduate high school. All she had was what she read and her books on hypnotism and like her studying the occult, right? So she was bringing this information to these women who probably never really had any major interest in these things. Right. They were, you know, open enough to discuss it. So, of course, she seems like the leader and the messenger of God and starts attracting some admirers if she's the one bringing all the information. That makes sense. I just don't understand why it was such a big deal. I want to know what happened to her visions by now. What do you mean? I mean, she had those visions when she was a kid, and when we were going over that, I was thinking, hmm, sounds like schizophrenia. You know, I was thinking the same thing. And it's interesting because schizophrenia usually starts a lot later, like 20s, in, the, in your 20s. Yeah. And it almost seems like the visions later are forced. Like they're, right. they're not really true. Um, and she's just kind of making it up. And I kind of wonder, was her childhood, like, okay, so her mom was sickly and died. And her dad was an alcoholic and shipped her off. And was it that lack of parentage and that lack of love that made her turn to a quote unquote invisible friend? Right. I don't know. Cause I feel like a lot of kids don't have adult invisible friends. No. And definitely not three of them. <laughs> right. In shining robes. Yeah. Did she see something at church or a picture at church that made her think that? Like, it's very possible. Sure, yeah. And then when she shipped off, the visions continue. And then later in life, when asked about the visions, she says they only come when, like, she needs them to or when they need to say something. It almost seems like it's this, her kind of going into her own, like, receding into her own mind. Mm. and having these conversations rather than like an actual vision i think that that's a very strong possibility and it's too bad that she's dead because i'd like to ask her um you could always read her book <laughs> hey i might no <laughs> i think it's a, another possibility since like i'm thinking she was bullied her mom was dead her dad didn't want her i mean she had zero home life, and then the other kids attacked her for being a weirdo. In an orphanage. How weird do you have to be to be the weirdo in an orphanage? I know. Oh, man. And when the weirdos are attacking you for being a weirdo, you, you become their kind of weirdo. Mm. If I had weird visions, I would not tell anybody about them after they beat me up. I might read her book. I'd really like to know. I don't know. Her book is about um, money, though. Like, attracting oh, money. Not good enough. Be gone. Wait, didn't she? <laughs> didn't she file for bankruptcy at one point? And oh, she wrote yeah. a financial book. <laughs> That's hilarious. Super convenient. Second Nature is a premium service solving a very unpremium problem. Regular air filter replacement. Even that sentence alone sounds a little dull, but trust us. It's a problem worth solving. Most people don't recognize they're supposed to change their filters every couple of months, and the ones that do barely have time to remember it. That's where Second Nature comes in. I recently subscribed to Second Nature when we bought our house, and I could not believe the amazing quality and options that are available for air filters for your home. I love the easy set it and forget it, 
I get a monthly filter because my son and I have really bad allergies. Second Nature made it so easy. And using our promo, you can get a month for free. We definitely recommend that you try it out and stick with them. We've been with them for almost two years now, and we absolutely love them. You can go to twosisterscult.com slash second nature. With a second nature subscription, you'll never forget your filters again. Terry used these women to gain access to their enlightenment-seeking children. Terry claimed that in the late 1960s, she helped a young man overcome his drug habit using meditation and prayer. Of course, he asked her to share her awesomeness with his friends. <laughs> I feel like this is just like a cult leader. Like, oh, yes, yes, I have a 100% drug rehabilitation strategy. Right. Typical. <laughs> So for those of you who don't know, the cult that we grew up in was primarily focused around women with drug addictions and housing their children. It was a place where they proclaimed to help people overcome their addictions and be out and about in the world in 18 months. But we were there for 10 years. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry held weekly meditation sessions with 20 high school students. She didn't charge for these sessions. She gave these kids something that they weren't getting from their parents. It was an exotic, new religious experience and uncritical acceptance. During this time, she taught them about karma. The law of karma holds that ugliness begets ugliness and beauty begets beauty. She explained to them that those who were unhappy in life we're paying for their past actions. She said, We can be sure that the people who have been killed in volcanic eruptions and dire catastrophes have deserved these violent deaths and that they have been reborn in those places to fulfill their destiny. They reaped as they sowed in past lives. It's so fucked up. Like, I'm a big believer in karma, but holy fucking shit. Mm, doesn't work like that. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. <laughs> like, no. What? <sighs> no. This, this is not how it works. Terry, Terry, Terry. One student said that they would meet at Terry's house. She would lead them into meditation and tell them that they were entering a higher, a higher elevation. <laughs> <laughs> a higher level of spiritual development where they would find the temples of the world's spiritual masters, Christ, Buddha, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, and Baha Ullah. They would tour these temples, and she would describe them. The students would add to the meditation, and she would always agree. So one ex example of this, which uh, one of the students gave, was that they would say, you know, oh, we're going, you know, she'd say, all right, we're going to go into this main courtyard now. And, and what color are the bricks of this temple? They'd say, oh, they're, you know, I see red bricks. Yes, yes, they are red. You know, like she'd always agree with them and kind of leading them to like continue with their mm -hmm. visions rather than being like they're red bricks. Like she wanted them to feel like they were seeing it too like like almost mm -hmm. forcing it in a way like you're right, trying yeah. too hard terry you're trying too goddamn hard <laughs> when she taught them about the akashic records she told them that the records gave her knowledge of their past and future lives including their love lives oh how convenient well, of course <laughs> <laughs> she would look into the records and see if her students had found their soulmates <laughs> Usually they would have found their mate, but one couple wasn't so lucky. She claimed that she could levitate and would scare the shit out of her husband at night. <laughs> I love my, oh my I God. love my editorialization of this. <laughs> scare the shit out of him. <laughs> scare the shit out of her husband at night when she could do it in her sleep. <laughs> she claimed she would heal the sick saying that her son had dislocated his thumb so bad that his bones pushed out against the skin. She refused to bring him to the doctor. And one student said that you could see that he was seriously hurt. And she didn't take him to the doctor. Oh, my God. When she prayed over it, like, it just healed back 
crooked. Good lord. That's how the body works, lady. <laughs> it's just going to heal back the way that it is. One night, she told one of her students that his girlfriend was going to be in a car accident, and the only way to protect her was an emergency meditation session. <laughs> like, Stop, drop, and meditate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Stop, what? drop, and meditate. It's an emergency. <laughs> you need to protect your girlfriend from her car accident. Oh, Lord. When Jimi Hendrix died, she told her students that it was bad karma because of his drug use, and that his soul needed to be boosted to a higher plane. The group held a meditation and she said, Jimmy's in the room. Can't you hear him? Oh my God. Jimmy's not in the room, honey. He's not. He's dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. To prove that she could read into the Akashic records, she would turn the lights off and have a student hold a piece of tinted plastic in front of their face. She would then shine a flashlight in front of them and say, look, now everyone can see that Anne was a Chinese woman. What? She would take, like, okay, so you know the tinted plastic of, like, a headlight. Like, the plastic that goes around the headlight? Okay, yeah. She, they would put that in front of their face and then shine a flashlight and it would distort your face. Obviously. Obviously. Oh, Lord. And she'd say, look. Now everyone can see that Anne was a Chinese wise man back in her previous life. Good Lord. By the late 60s, Terry incorporated her group and called it Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul. She started working with adults and sold lessons in spiritual development. Now this is where the money starts. Like, and it does not stop from here. She would accept love offerings anywhere from $50 to $100. She taught her students something that she called the first degrees. Like, you're just making your own shit up at this point, lady. I'm pretty sure she's just really, really running with it at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, you can actually buy her lessons online. Oh, hell no. But thank you. <laughs> she's still selling her lessons online. Who's getting the money? Her husband died of natural causes, too, so I'm not really... Her last husband. We're, we're going to talk about the other ones who did not, um, or very suspicious, alleged causes, because she was mm, never convicted. Very suspicious. Um, but every single one of her husbands, not every single one of her husbands, but mm, uh, I think there were two or three of her husbands who committed suicide. And Yeah, several. Lesson number one. This is your very first lesson. It is yours in a special way, since the knowledge contained within it is sacred, secret, and mysterious. Uh, what? <laughs> I'm reading your goddamn lesson. I'm pretty sure it's not a secret at this point. <laughs> right. I found it on the internet. <laughs> That's a poorly kept secret. Poorly kept secret. This information <laughs> has been treasured and carefully guarded since ancient times. For knowledge gives its possessor power. By being exposed to the teachings of the masters... You will not only become aware of the truths which others rarely possess, you will also learn how to use and control energies that few have mastered. It sounds like the beginning of like a lecture in college. Right. <laughs> you are about to become proficient at something for once in your lives. I don't want to. Why am I spending so much goddamn money for this class? <laughs> right. Her marriage was strained at this time because her husband didn't believe in her powers and he was only making $101 a week. He would ask her followers who thought of her as Jesus to take back the gifts of jewelry and things, but they would beg him to let her have them. That's wild. Her husband also wasn't thrilled about Glenn Cooley, a 20-year-old student at North Texas State University who would sit next to Terry during meditations just so he could hold her hand. Terry filed for a divorce on December 28, 1970. Her husband and mom signed papers for her to be committed for psychiatric evaluation. This was a thing in the 70s, okay, where if a woman decided that she wanted to divorce, then her family could commit her as crazy. 
Oh my lord. Or for a psychiatric evaluation. I'm sorry, wait. Her husband and his mom? Her mom. Oh wait, she was adopted. Her adopted mom. So her husband and adopted mom signed papers for her to be committed for psychiatric evaluation. Her hospitalization didn't last long, and she went back to her teaching pretty quickly. In the divorce settlement, Terry took custody of her daughter, Kathy, and her share of the settlement. John took custody of the two youngest children, Kenneth and Virginia, and got the house and all the family's bank accounts. A few months later, now 33 years old, Terry got remarried to 20-year-old Glenn Cooley. <sighs> I'm not opposed no. to age gaps. Sure. Right. I mean, I've, I've been with an older guy. But I wasn't going to marry him. <laughs> That's fair. You know what I'm saying? And it's interesting because a lot of people are like, well, he's a gay and he's 13 years younger, whatever. If it was a girl who was 13 years younger, everybody would be uh, you know, up in arms more. But I feel like it's still like your mentality as a 20-year-old is completely different as a 33-year-old. Meaningful conversation. Quality, so quality time is one of my love languages. That's how I receive love is quality time. I like meaningful conversations. I like being able to have intelligent conversations with my significant other. And I feel like when I'm talking to someone who is 13 years younger than me, it's very difficult to have a, a legitimate conversation. I, for sure. I don't know. I just, I don't think I could do it personally. But I, do, I get what you're saying. Like, it is their choice After for sure. a certain age, you know, you, what are you going to do? But objectively, it's definitely strange. But even then, I feel like if it was 40 and 53, you're at that stage in life where that kind of number doesn't mean a lot. 13 years, you know? Yeah, I suppose you're right. Like, your mindsets are probably pretty close to the same. Where you want to go in life, what you see with your lives, like... Like it's gonna, it might, not that it's going to, it might mm -hmm. last longer. Terry began to add jewelry sales to her business and opened a company called CD Gems, which I don't think this lady knew much of anything. It's spelled like a compact disc, like CD for conscious development, CD Gems, but it sounds like very suspiciously CD <laughs> Gems. <laughs> Obviously, this lady did, was not down with the pun game. She had no clue. No. <laughs> like, you are calling your, stuff, your business <laughs> CD Gem. Oh, man. She claimed that these gems had special powers and were required for enlightenment. <laughs> this lady. All right. Now we're going to talk about Sandy Cleaver. Sandy Cleaver was one of Terry's most devoted followers. She was happily married to Chuck, her college sweetheart, and they had a daughter, Susan Devereaux Cleaver, who was known as Devereaux. Sandy's childhood was not easy. Her parents divorced when she was young. Her mom spent years in and out of mental institutions. Her sister died in a car crash, and her father died in an airplane accident. Her husband, Chuck, had a great job. Her husband had a great job, and she lived comfortably with a large trust fund. None of this mattered. And she sought for spiritual answers for what life was about. She started doing meditation and using homeopathic medicine. This search led her to Terry. Unfortunately. Sandy Cleaver is a perfect example of why people join mm. cults. She had the money. She had the husband. She had the daughter. She had all these things. But having a rough childhood, her parents getting divorced, her mom's mental instability... Her sister dying, then her dad dying. I imagine it like you're on the path of life, right? You're walking down your path, and then there's a fire. So you kind of turn, and then there's another fire, and then you kind of turn, and you kind of shift your direction, and then there's another fire, and you shift your direction. These are the, th like, all of these things are things that led her to seek something, something deeper, spiritual answers for why in the world this happened? Why in the world did her dad die? Why did her sister die? Why was she left alone in this world with a mentally unstable mom? Yeah. And that's what led her to Terry. Like she's prime for plucking. Prime for the plucking. I don't even know if people say that anymore, but I'm going to say it. They're saying it now. 
Sandy told Chuck about how Terry was this amazing reincarnated saint and could cure cancer using crystals. She even went so far as to believe that she was the reincarnated high priestess of Atlantis. This involvement with conscious development caused a huge strain on Sandy and Chuck's marriage. During an argument one night, Sandy took out a knife from the kitchen and screamed that she thought Deborah would be better off in heaven. I don't think I've ever been in such a frantic mental state that I have thought that my children were better off in heaven. Never. No. She's crazy. Sure. When I was, when I had really bad postpartum depression, I would think I would be better off dead. Me. Not, I'm not trying to kill anybody, (laughs) you know, and I got help and I, you know, did what I needed to do to like work through those thoughts and those feelings and, and get the medication that I needed and the help that I needed. But this lady's not looking for the right help, first of all, and to like get into a screaming match with your husband and say that you're, that his daughter, your daughter would be better off in heaven. No, no. Sandy began putting her faith in an assortment of unlabeled pills prescribed by an unlicensed healer in Mexico, who Terry recommended. The healer diagnosed five-year-old Devereaux telepathically and shipped a bottle of pills by bus. At one point, Sandy was giving her daughter up to 110 pills a day. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Sandy ended up divorcing Chuck because she believed, with a little bit of Terry's nudging, that her husband's negative thoughts about her spirituality and Terry were causing bad vibes in their daughter and were blocking Sandy's spiritual development. The custody for Devereaux was drawn out, but because Sandy was so mentally unhinged and had spoken so openly about Devereaux being better off in heaven, Chuck agreed to settle for visitation rights. The caveat was that Sandy could only take Devereaux to a recognized and licensed doctor. Thank God for that, at least. Yeah. So when I was researching this part, I saw that Chuck, he could have won rights to like have full custody of his daughter because of how unhinged Sandy was. And she was visibly unhinged to the point where like the lawyers were like, yeah, no, we could definitely make a case for this, especially with all the pills that she's giving your daughter. But they recommended like your wife has said these kinds of things. She might try to kill Devereaux. And he was like, "Uh, she can visit. Well, no, he decided he would be the one to visit. He he would visit her. She got mm-hmm. custody. She got custody. Oh and my god! He was the one going for visitations because he thought that if if he tried to take Devereaux, then she would just kill Devereaux. Jesus. Yeah. I want to tell you about Wild. Wild is a business retreat for female identifying entrepreneurs in creative industries. This retreat is focused on fostering community and connections, business building strategy, and inspiring courageous action. You can join me, Alicia, at Wild in Black Mountain, North Carolina in June. It is only for 35 attendees. My wonderful friend, Nicole, is hosting the event, and I absolutely love kind of what she's just bringing to the table and her experience, and this retreat is going to be amazing. If you'd like to know more about Wild or maybe you're going to a different retreat sometime this year and you'd like a free resource on how to make the most of that retreat, well, I have a free download for you that my wonderful friend Nicole gave us to give to you, our audience. To get that free download and to find out more about Wild, you can go to twosisterscult.com slash wild. See you there. By the mid-1970s, Terry was teaching hundreds of local Dallas members and had attracted thousands of followers nationwide. All of the proceeds from these teachings and sales of her seedy gems went directly to Terry. And like any good cult leader, Terry formed a small group of about 25 of her most devoted followers. With this new hierarchy, Terry only made herself bigger and closer to a godlike figure. Her followers called her the Anatamaji, the divine revelator. <laughs> <laughs> it's a higher revelation. I love it. 
God. And this is like cult 101. They always rename themselves. Mm-hmm. They're never just their name. They always need a better, cooler name. The Divine Revelator. <laughs> She's crazy. One of her inner circle teachers was in a crazy plane accident where the plane clipped a telephone wire and went out of control, which I didn't even know if planes would fly that low. It makes no sense. Me neither. The pilot was able to land them safely. Terry nodded knowingly as she listened to the story. Did you help save us? The teacher asked. Terry said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Once her inner circle had been established, Terry began to reveal secrets of the darkest spiritual planes told to her by Plato and Babaji, a Hindu god. She revealed that they were members of the White Brotherhood, chosen by the masters to fight the forces of evil. Their enemies were called the Black Lords, part of the sinister Black Brotherhood. God, there's so many issues with this whole thing. They're the members of the White Brotherhood. They're fighting the Black Lords, who are part of the Black Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? Do you have no imagination, lady? Because <laughs> everything's got to be black and white. Oh, yeah. No gray areas here. <laughs> I just... Oh, God. Every time. This whole thing... This I don't understand why people don't talk about this lady more. She was fucking nuts. She was fucking nuts. The Black Lords exist on the astral and mental planes, explain the instructions distributed to the teachers. To quote-unquote kill them, one must take them to the pits of hell, where their soul and lower bodies will be dissolved. Deadlier still were the Black Overlords, since they cannot be dissolved in the pits of hell, but must instead be taken to the electromagnetic dissolving cave. Oh, I like that one. The dissolving cave. Yes. I need to get a dissolving cave. Right? The Black (laughs) Overlords. All right. So uh, let me break this down for you in case the instructions weren't clear. The Black Lords. You got to go to the mental plane to defeat them. But you got to take them down to the pits of hell and then their lower bodies are dissolved. That kills them. But you can't do that with the Black Overlords. Only the Black lords Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the black overlords you gotta take them to the electromagnetic dissolving Dissolving cave cave. where is that i don't know but nobody knows (laughs) nobody knows but it's science okay (laughs) (laughs) this lady was so goddamn nuts but that wasn't all she then introduced the garbons (laughs) Every time I hear garbanzo, I think garbanzo beans. Yes, delicious. The garbanzo beans. Like, like it's like, um, uh, all of these sound like basketball teams. Mm. We're bringing in the Black Overlords. (laughs) 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 And now, introducing (laughs) the garbanzo. Yes. Like, she was probably eating some goddamn garbanzo beans. And you, she was like, you know what would be good? I got a name for this. <laughs> so imagine this. And I need somebody to draw this out for me. J.D., you're, you're awful nifty. You should do this. I may. This is what the garbanzo looked like. They were six feet tall with long beaks, a gargoyle-like appearance, and covered in slime. I don't know what color, but it was slime. So, yeah. Think of is Nickelodeon bright green. green. <laughs> These garbons were able to reach through the spiritual and into the physical and could leave slime on their victims. They were especially dangerous. Dun, dun, dun. Terry said, if after 30 seconds or a minute, which one? <laughs> right. You feel tingling in your hands, or if your hand is shaking, you should assume that you have a garbon stuck to your hand. Using your imagination, wrap it up in barbed wire, stab it, and kill it. Wow. Then imagine the dead garbon spinning straight up and dissolving 
into the universe. I can't make this shit up. Mm, I apparently oh, she could. She could. I can't. In order to fight wow. the Black Brotherhood, you might be wondering what kind of like are they using these mental swords? No. They would arm themselves with magical symbols, a rod, a cup, a sword, and a cloth bag containing a cup of dirt. Before you start thinking that this is like some type of, uh, what are those dress-up things? Cosplay. No. Oh. Close. Halloween? No. Oh. (laughs) Close to cosplay. But when LARPing. LARPing. Before you think this is some type of LARPing with full-on costumes... The swords didn't actually have to be real swords. It could be a letter opener or a ballpoint pen. Yeah. Whatever you've got available to you, you could use that. But she encouraged them to dress for battle in a robe, a headband with silver or gold symbols, and, of course, her seedy protective jewelry. Oh, Lord. (laughs) This dragon protects me from harm. Exactly. I got a tattoo. It's protecting me from harm. (laughs) It does not. Once the teachers were in their magic circle, which was a large circle of cloth inscribed with a triangle, they would use carefully practiced gestures slicing through the air with their ballpoint pens. The black overlords would have to be dealt with using the electromagnetic caves. One of the leaders wrote to the group, Serious injury seems far removed from reality as we sit in the physical in battle. However, it is to be remembered that last Wednesday, we had to rush to the aid of some of our white brotherhood as they fought. Many of these brothers died on that far-off universe because they were not as battle-ready as we have been and will be. That's hilarious. These people really believed it. Oh my god. Like, they believed that they were really fighting on some type of astral plane. Another great cult tactic, and I say great, I'm not really saying great, obviously. I right. just get with the program. Another cult tactic is sleep de- deprivation, right? They want you to, your senses to be altered so that when they speak their slimy lies, then it's very, you're more subjective because you're tired. You just want to go to bed but you're up fighting the garbons all night. Mm -hmm. She would call these emergency meetings night, day, anytime, and say, you know what? There's an emergency in Africa. We need to handle this now. And everybody would come. Good Lord. And when it seemed easy, then Terry would say, you know what? I also do my own fighting. So the ones that you're not getting... I'm getting the harder ones. Like to make herself look better. Lady, you made this shit up. <laughs> oh my lord, she's nuts. I don't understand. <sighs> her inner circle would then give her a body count after their battles, some of which lasted hours. They were sworn to secrecy. Their magic equipment was to remain hidden, and they were not to speak about the black forces with anyone outside of the circle. Terry fostered paranoia, telling her inner circle that the black forces were everywhere. The people who left were considered suspicious. They were placed on a list and would be targeted by spiritual warfare. She wrote them special instructions. Curtail most of your social contact with those outside the group. It is for your protection. The black forces may use them to get to you. Keep your sword near you, especially when you go to bed. Protect your animals, car, place of work, and home with the protective rituals. And that's the end of episode one. Whoa, that went by so fast. This is just the beginning of Terry's manipulation into these people's lives. And we'll see next week that these cult members found themselves in a losing battle against the Black Overlords. And it is not going to be pretty. People are lo- lost their lives because of her teaching and we don't we don't take that lightly um i know we're kind of like poking fun at and not even poking fun just dramatizing terry's beliefs but i i want everybody to understand that there were people out there who really believed all of this stuff sandy cleaver being massively influenced by terry divorced her husband who she loved only because 
of Terry and gave her daughter those pills only because of Terry and will go on to do absolutely heinous acts for Terry. So we are definitely going to see that next week. And I am excited, but not excited. The next episode is going to be good because like, we'll come to the end of it. Um, But a lot of people lost their lives following this lady in some really dark ways really dark what do you think about um the targeting people with spiritual warfare i know we talked about this a few weeks ago but i was thinking like we used to when we would have prayer meetings and we had a lot of like overnight prayer meetings mm-hmm. um, we used to pray against people pray that people would get sick pray that they wouldn't be able to make it to x and x meetings so that the republican party could have their victories you know like mm-hmm. all these like very attacking like i personally do not believe that people should use their spirituality to attack another human being Mm. what do you think it does seem mean i mean overly like unnecessarily like hateful Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like if you are enlightened in any way you're going you might do some hateful shit but you're going to purposefully steer clear of the really hurtful shit <laughs> you know right. like yeah, yeah in a moment you might snap and say something that you maybe you don't mean or you regret not that you don't mean it because you said it mm-hmm. but that you regret later and so yeah you might do that but to like purposefully put out some candles and pray or like go to church and pray against someone and that they get hurt or that they are sick or that they come down with something like yeah no I don't like that. No. It makes me not feel so good. And I don't like it. Yeah, it's bad vibes. Bad juju. Let's end this on a happy note because I mean, we don't have to end every episode on a happy note because there are going to be some really fun cults that we're going to talk about. Okay. I'm excited about the fun one. Oh, yeah. This one's a rough one, though. And next week is going to yeah. be even more rough. But um, what, are you, what are you grateful for? Honestly, I, I bought myself this nice new little travel watercolor set. Ooh. It's got like concentrated paints and a little pen that you can put water into a compartment of the pen and it just drips out. So it's like, yeah, I love it. What about you? Wait, I want to talk about that more. <laughs> okay, so what it, so it's like a paint, like a watercolor paint set, right? Mm-hmm. But you said the pen drips out mm-hmm. water? Almost like an empty uh, calligraphy pen, but a brush. Calligraphy pen made of a thicker, spongier water bottle material. Wow. Yeah. God, what will they come up with next? (laughs) I know. (laughs) That is so cool. Have you used it yet or you just got it? Oh, yeah. Lots. Okay. You want me to send you stuff? Yes. (laughs) I'll have to post one on the uh, photos for this episode because I need more. Oh, my God. Let's hear your art. Yay. Really showing off. That's super cool. I like that. So how about you? What are you grateful for? I got these new earrings and they're big. <laughs> Ooh. I'm usually, I like, I like big earrings, but I don't wear them a lot now. Um, I remember when it used to be off and. Seriously, I would wear them all the time. But um, I would also, when I was in Bible college, I would steal people's earrings, not steal, steal, but I would borrow people's earrings. Um, and now I'm kind of relying on my own supply. So I don't have a lot. And well, I took the boys to the museum um, mm-hmm. in Raleigh and I was, uh, it was so much fun. And I knew about this little shop that is ethically sourced products. It's like a little boutique mm-hmm. and they source products from uh, like villages in other countries and they resell them in Raleigh and the money goes toward building these families and helping them build, you know, themselves up, which I think is great. And it's a really noble cause. Um, and I spent $36 on a pair of earrings. Not too sure. I know. Some people would be like, yeah, whatever. Other people would be like, holy fucking shit. No, you did not. That's insane. Um, <laughs> like I could buy, like I could go to Walmart and buy an entire outfit plus earrings for $36. I guess, but they turn your ears green. They do. And these are so nice. And they're a little on the heavy side, so they're super durable. But I just, I don't know. I felt really great about buying them for myself. And I don't think I felt like that about buying something for myself in a really long time. So Mm. I was really excited about that. I love that. 
we want you to send us your stories. So were you in a cult? Do you have a favorite cult? Is there a cult that you want us to cover? Do you just want to tell us a funny, creepy, scary, or mystical as fuck experience that you had? Then send us your stories at two sisters cult at gmail.com. We'll be launching our Patreon in May. So if you would like to donate to the show, you can do that. And we'll have more details soon. We have some pretty sweet merch available in our shop. You can pick from decal stickers, t-shirts, and other fun stuff. Click shop in the menu at twosisterscult.com. The best way for you to help us out on the show is to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to tell a friend who you think would like us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Two Sisters Cult, And we're even on Reddit. Come hang out with us. We will catch you on the flip side. And don't join that cult.